All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. You go right on your back having to get you, Barbara. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror. I'm Rob Holmes, and today I'm joined again by Victoria Hall, who has picked one of her favorite movies to talk about today. Hi Rob, it's good to be back, and thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for being back. Today we are talking about Trick or Treat. So this is the 1986 film. Uh, It was also known as uh, Ragman and Death at 33 RPM in some markets. It's a supernatural horror, but it's not to be confused with the 2007 film Trick or Treat with Anna Parkwin. So, yeah, it's not that one. It's the 1986 version. And in my opinion, this is the best uh, horror metal movie ever made. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was directed by Charles Martin Smith. Uh, I'm, I don't really know much you do, Rob. Oh, I know a lot about uh, Charles Martin Smith. Not only was Charles Martin Smith an actor, but he decided to try his hand at directing. So he was kind of a character actor, did a lot of TV shows in the 70s and 80s. So when he started direct, he, he went out and did this film, Trick or Treat. He followed it six years later. With a little film called Boris and Natasha, based on the Rocky and Bullwinkle characters, Boris and Natasha. This was a live action version of that. And it is very, very weird. And it is it is amazing for being as strange as it is. Uh, and he followed that up with a couple of other films that you may know. Uh, well, actually, a TV episode, the pilot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer which is pretty awesome. And so what does he follow Buffy the Vampire Slayer with? Well, obviously, Air Bud. (laughs) Yep, Mm. it's the movie about the golden retriever that plays basketball. (laughs) Because there's no rule that says a dog can't play basketball. (laughs) Uh, Then he went on to direct things like Dolphin Tail and Dolphin Tail 2. So it's interesting that he goes from Trick or Treat... Which is not not Airbud. No, big at shift, all. big shift in mood and tone there. Interesting. It's kind of summed up his directing stuff. He's yeah. doing a lot of these kids' films, uh, A Dog's Way Home, and A Gift from Bob, which I think is another dog movie or something. So he likes doing dog films. So that's cool. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and the story was written by Rhett Topman, who also wrote the anthology for Freddy's Nightmares, if anybody remembers that. Uh, yes. <laughs> Freddy's Nightmares. That was, uh, I think it was 1988. That was a, mm-hmm. that was a pretty decent series. Mm. And unlike Friday the 13th, the series, Freddy appears. Yes. Not, not like directly, directly, but he hosts it. So he's like the crypt keeper. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, I think it worked really well. Uh, but for some reason... The one people remember more is Friday the 13th, the Mm. series, for not being about Jason Voorhees. 
<laughs> so yeah, there you go. There you go. But this look, trick or treat. This film. This film came to me when I was about nine years old. Um, my dad he fished it out of the ex rental bin at Blockbuster Video. And I think it was about three quid or something. And, you know, it was money well spent because I have watched this film so many times. I just love it to death. Um, pretty much every Halloween I will put this film on. Um, and for me, you know, it's just an 80s cult classic. It really is. Um, I think it's got awesome commentary on um, censorship and the censorship of music. And, you know, this is something that... Uh, the horror film sort of scene and metal music um, sort of both were experiencing as challenges at the time. It has an awesome soundtrack, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and I also just thought it had an awesome villain. You know, um, Sammy Kerr is our rock star villain. He is sinister and charismatic. And, yeah, I'd be excited to find out um, what what you think about him a little in a little bit, Rob. But... Do you want to have a chat about the cast members who's who's starring in this? Yeah, so there, there's a few interesting things on this. Uh, so we have Mark Price starring as Eddie Weinbauer. Mark Price is best known for his role as Skippy on Family Ties. Uh, and he was also in the movie The Rescue from 1988. So those were his two. Oh, yeah. And also Killer Tomatoes Eat France, because <laughs> why not? <laughs> so I actually um, have tried to add <laughs> Mark Price on Facebook. Um, I was like, what the hell is he like doing now? So, um, yeah, I, I sort of started stalking him on Facebook and I'm just checking every day to see if he accepts my friend request. Because one day, maybe one he'll day. listen to this and be like, <laughs> wait, someone, people, people are still talking about this film. Yes. Absolutely. Hello, new friend. Absolutely. And so like I see, you know, he's got his public posts and I can see he still shares about this film on a almost daily basis. So obviously wow. it's still very close um, to his heart, too. But, you know, um, Tony Fields plays our rock star villain, Sammy Kerr. Mm -hmm. And Tony um, was actually a dancer who starred in a number of Michael Jackson videos. He played a zombie in Thriller, which was also, you know, like many, I think, that are listening, you know, an, an entry point to horror for me. Um, so he is just, he's an awesome dancer, and you get to see some of those fabulous skills coming through um, in a performance later in the film. But, yeah, sadly, he died in 1995, so Tony's not with us anymore. And then we have a couple of awesome special appearances from actual rock legends don't we rob <laughs> yeah um we have gene simmons cameoing here as kind of a wolfman jack character as the character of nuke who is uh he's got a show at the radio station and he is kind of what is the catalyst to to a lot of this film of, of getting that record to uh over to Eddie, this this print of uh, one of Sammy's last albums. Oh. Uh, and then we have Ozzy Osbourne coming in as uh, Reverend, a TV Reverend, <laughs> which seeing Ozzy Osbourne, especially in the 80s, you know, at the height, you know, at his height of everything with like oh, Black yeah. Sabbath and all that, it, it's to see him like that is just oh, whew, the it, antithesis of him. It's so good, you know. So um, good. 
it's so good having him there. And it's just super, I don't know, ironic, I guess, because, you know, at the time, as you said, you know, Aussie and Sabbath was, mm-hmm. you know, getting a lot of criticism um, about, you know, sort of satanic themes. Um, there was this whole satanic panic thing going on in the 80s and everybody yeah. was blaming any crime on the fact that, you know, the person may have listened to metal music. And, um, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, he does play a, an evangelist, a preacher in this. Um, and it's just these great moments where he's like saying that he's being interviewed on TV and he's like, you know, um, he's talking about metal musicians and he says, you know, I think they're out and out sick people. They are trying to make everyone around them as sick as they are, um, which is just so funny coming from him yeah. because, you know, Black Sabbath and Ozzy, <laughs> they kick-started Heavy Metal's love affair with yeah. horror atmosphere and imagery with that sort of, you know, tri-tone guitar sound. It was just so doomy. Um, but yeah, so it's sort of, they've had plenty of censorship over the years and it was just really, really funny to have Ozzy himself playing an evangelist in this film. So. Oh yeah. yeah. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Um, heaps of fun. There's, there's another person in this film who at first I saw the name and I was like that, that can't be. That sounds too familiar. Glenn Morgan plays Roger Marcus, who is uh, Eddie's best friend. Mm, the and nerdy best friend, yes. The nerdy best friend who is basically an adult. He is like a 40-year-old man <laughs> trapped in like a 17-year-old's body. Yep. Glenn Morgan uh, is a director. He directed Willard in 2003. That's what I know him from, the Crispin Glover remake of of Willard. He directed the remake of Black Christmas in 2006, which I don't like, but uh, I heard he doesn't like either because the studio kind of butchered what he had as, as his vision and brought in a different director to make the trailer, which is why none of that shit makes sense. Right. Um. And then he directed a few episodes or a few episodes of the X Files. Yes, um, that's what I know him from. Yeah, he did. A, he actually directed three of them for when it came back in 2016 and then 2018. Uh, but he was an executive producer uh, on the X Files and Twilight Zone. And uh, let's see, he produced Final Destination three. He's a pro- he's the mm. producer of the first Final Destination. Mm. Uh, the movie The One with Jet Li and Jason Statham. He produced the show Millennium. Uh, yeah, th- I mean, wow, he's super accomplished. Then he's done heaps. Yeah, so he's he's like a a, a big producer who did one movie, and that was Trick or Treat, nineteen eighty. Character of Roger Marcus, and I'm pretty sure Roger. Roger makes it through the movie. He does. Right? We think there's a moment. There is oh, a moment. Oh, there's such a moment. Oh, yeah. Which we'll get to, but he does. He survives the night. So, um, yeah, uh, that's really interesting. I knew he'd written or had been directed and been involved in X-Files. I, I, I didn't know the rest of it. So that's really interesting. There you go. What a legend. Yeah, so, you yeah. never know. Exactly, so. exactly. You never know what these people go on to do. It's always quite fun, isn't it, like looking back mm-hmm. and seeing sort of how their career traje- trajectories went. So, but yeah, I think, you know, good, 
good little cast, some unknowns and um, some knowns. Um, but, you know, did you did you like how the film sets like the satanic context from the outset, um, from the opening credits, really? Yeah. It's um, yeah. It's great, you know, like when the when the names are sort of coming up on the screen, there's this voiceover, and I don't know, I don't know, maybe it's Gene Simmons actually, um, s- sort of speaking yeah. it. I think it he, is. It's, it's Gene Simmons doing. He's the radio DJ, and he's introducing everything in yeah. that kind of Wolfman Jack style. Well, I think even before that, like when the credits are opening, there's. Um, this little satanic verse being spoken in the background. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a verse from the German play Dr. Um, Faustus. And so legend has it that when this play was performed in the 1600s, actual devils appeared on the stage during the performance and they apparently drove audience members mad. So there's this little quote from that that comes up on the opening credits and uh, I think it's this really awesome hint of what's to come and it really just sets the satanic context really well so yeah yeah and then we're sort of um you know there's great music playing and then we sort of cut to this fictional uh, this poster of fictional heavy metal icon sammy kerr but uh what were your what were your first impressions of sammy kerr uh when so when i looked up when i looked up uh the guy who played Sammy Kerr, Tony Fields, and I saw how old he was. <clears throat> and even when they say that the character of, of Sammy Kerr has died, and he was like in his 30s, I'm like, this guy looks like he has had a hard life in his like late 40s. Yeah, yeah. He, he already he looks like he is run down. Yeah, I mean, he he's even while he's alive, like he looks like he's already been to hell and back. He's like mm-hmm. a less pretty version of Alice Cooper and Nikki Six and uh, Blackie Lawless. And in fact, I heard that um, yep. originally Blackie Lawless was up for the role. Well, so Blackie yeah. Lawless is from Wasp, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was. I like, how you, I like how you say obviously because there's probably people who are like, oh, okay. Okay, cool. Well, Nikki Six is from Motley <laughs> Crue. So I'm trying to I'm trying to build a picture of what Sammy Kerr looks like. But Blackie Lawless is from Wasp, and Blackie Lawless was up for um, the role of Sammy Kerr. And um, apparently, uh, the you know the director was really keen to cast him. But when Blackie found out that he would have to lip sync to Fast Ways music in the film he pulled out and he said no way why would I lip sync to Fastway's music when I'm in Wasp and I have my own awesome music so you know Blackie was out of the mix then and um, I even heard that actually Gene Simmons at one point was up for playing Sammy Kerr but um, he'd he actually read the script and didn't think it was much chop and said no I'll just do a cameo so so it ended up going to Tony Fields and yeah you know he, he he's, he's great in this role and he looks awesome he's got this black hair sticking up everywhere it literally does look like he's stuck his finger in a in a you know plug um he's got white skin black eye makeup black nail varnish he's wearing like leather bondage clothes i mean he this is right out of a judas priest music video right he he looks awesome he is the epitome of 1980s like metal metal mixed with the hair metal like this is like glam heavy metal just 
Oh, it's 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 per it's perfect on what you would imagine the big bad metal god looking like. Uh and I mean and and it just works really Overall, it works just really well because he, he has this iconic look that makes him stand out from every other person in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He's really unique, like, villain. And, you know, like, it's sort of his fan base, they consider him Rock's chosen warrior. You know, he is here to fight the establishment and to fight censorship. Um, but, but we know he's extreme as well because, you know, there's footage of him, like, biting heads off snakes and smearing their blood over his naked torso. And, you know, I think that's like a bit of a, a, a reference to Ozzy on stage, you know, who yeah. apparently, was it, was it a bat or something? He apparently bit the okay, head Okay, so someone, <laughs> someone threw something to him on stage. And the, so the story that I've heard is that someone said he just bit a head off of a live bat, but someone threw something on stage that he thought, he didn't know what he thought it was a rubber bat and apparently it wasn't and he bit it and bit its head off and was like what the hell but just went with what? it you know just because because oh metal um and that's that's a story i heard whether that's fully true or not i don't know but yeah it it you can see that this guy is this version of all of these horror stories that people have heard over the years and representing metal in that fashion. And what's also cool is that this, he's so much, I know people love Slumber Party Massacre too, but it's a nonsensical film. It's like a dream film. It just doesn't make sense. And then stuff just happens because I guess dreams become reality. But I like this heavy metal type killer better than that like hard rock driller killer that they yeah, tried to pull there. agree. This guy felt more maniacal, and the powers that Sammy Kerr has in the afterlife, this power set, I don't think we fully appreciate how amazing this power set is. Like, yeah. he has the ability to control electricity, phase through... Radio uh, waves? Radio waves. He can, pull th uh, he can put his hand into a television... And pull things out of it like that. That's super impressive. Um, but the reason that I guess he matters so much in this story is that he's an alumni of Eddie's high school. And yeah. he was he wanted to play a gig at the high school. Yeah. But the city council and that's why I think the meeting that he's in is telling him, like, we're banning you from playing at the high school. Like, you're not allowed to play here. And he's like, I, this is where this is where I grew up. Like, this is where I went to this school and they're just not letting him play there. And that's like this really shitty thing that pisses, uh, that pisses Eddie off too, because yeah. Eddie just feels like no one understands him. And yeah. this is just more proof that, that yeah. they just not only don't understand him, but they're actively pushing him away. Yeah. Yeah. It's really this us against them mentality. And, you know, yeah. you know, Eddie Weinbauer, you know, I, you know, what a relatable lead. Poor, lonely, lonely Eddie. You know, I've got a lot of love and sympathy for Eddie. He's this high school outcast who spends most days being bullied. 
um, because, you know, he listens to weird music and dresses differently. Um, he sort of spends his days gazing longingly at his crush, Leslie, who's played by Lisa Orgolini. Or, yeah, he's writing these letters to his heavy metal hero, Sammy Kerr. And he's, he's in the opening scene, he's writing this letter to him, sort of saying how devastated he is that the town council has cancelled the Halloween, ha- cancelled his appearance at the Halloween mm-hmm. concert at Lakeridge High School, where, where yes, yeah, Sammy also used to go. But it's really sad for Eddie because, you know, um, you know, Eddie's sort of talking about all the bad thoughts he's having. He's like contemplating suicide. And he says, doesn't he, like Sammy's the one thing that's holding him together. Mm-hmm. And we get this terrible montage of sort of incidents, don't we, um, Eddie, yeah. including that really humiliating shower scene. Which, I mean, it, it's humiliating, but at the same time, Eddie, I think it works for your benefit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it did because the girl he has a crush on saw... Okay, so the the jocks are going through all of his his clothes and all of his, uh, his stuff and making fun of him in the bathroom, at the gym. And then as, you know, he's trying to get his cassette tape back or his Walkman back or one of those things, or a cassette tape, they kick it out of the out of the bathroom into the gym he's in a towel the main bully grabs his towel trips him and he falls through the door and they lock the door mm. and it's like the girls volleyball team who's out there including leslie including leslie and everyone's just like looking at him one girl pulls a camera out and takes Jeannie. a polaroid of him oh Jeannie. Jeannie. she's She's, she's terrible. a bitch. Oh, what a bitch. She gets her well, comeuppance, don't, doesn't she? But it, I mean, it's a little extreme for just being like she gets her comeuppance. <laughs> yeah, she's <Nope>. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> not, not extreme. Uh, not extreme at all. She deserves no, it. We'll get to that. We'll well, I mean, but she does. But, you know, but, but, but you know what? It's like, it's terrible. Yeah, he's there. He's like banging on the door, his naked ass on display. All the girls are laughing. And just to make matters worse, Jeannie goes and gets. And Jeannie is the head bully's girlfriend by the way she goes gets this polaroid camera and takes a snap and like you just see eddie sort of slump to the floor in shame and um well because he hears the flash go off because he's standing facing the door and he doesn't see him you hear and see this flash and you can tell that he heard it and saw it he knows what's happened and it's this resigning himself to oh geez not again and just goes to the floor yeah yeah it's 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 a great moment because he didn't have to look back. I found that that to just it it told so much just in that type of moment and the way he's bullied too because it's mm. never it's never in a lot of these movies it gets super violent and really out of control to the point where it's like whoa dude the, you were you're straight up going to murder this person like you're a bully not a psychopathic murderer but this yeah. dude is a straight up just regular bully yeah. like I mean, he might beat him up, but it's more just, haha, I made fun of you. Yeah, humiliation, so, just humiliation yeah. tactics. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, Eddie's Eddie's pretty miserable. His life's pretty miserable. And don't you just feel so sorry for him when he yeah. finds out that, you know, Sammy's dead. Sammy, the one thing holding him together, the one person who would understand him has died. 
Um, and, and he finds out because he's watching a news report and it says, you know, that Sammy Kerr was the victim of a hotel fire and is dead at the age of 38. Um, so he just goes into his bedroom and just rips everything off the walls, every single poster. He's just like devastated, except for one. You know, he stops short of Sammy Kerr's poster. And then he goes to visit his um, friend and local radio station DJ, Nuke, who, yep. as you mentioned, is played by Gene Simmons of Kiss. Yeah, I thought this was a great scene. Uh, I I like Gene Simmons as an actor, actually. I know some people may not. I thought Runaway, which was written and directed by Michael Crichton, yeah. the writer of Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> he he was great in that. He plays the villain uh, in a movie where there's there's bullets that you can program to trace people down. It stars Tom Selleck, and it has acid-spitting awesome. acid robots. Uh, it's amazing. It is a brilliant film. I love it to death. Then he, you know, he said he didn't want to play Sammy Kerr in this because he said the script wasn't up to par. Yet, it's funny because the same year he made a movie called Never Too Young to Die starring John Stamos where it's a really, really, and Robert England's in it too, oh. uh, where he plays a really awful James Bond-esque <laughs> villain who is also a transvestite. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> and and it's one of those movies that it's like, it's so campy, but not even in like, a, oh, this is, it's, it's not Rocky Horror. He is not Tim Curry, and he is not <laughs> pulling off a Frankenfurter. This is, <laughs> this is something that is, it doesn't make sense. And it's goofy, and he even apologizes when people talk about it. He's like, oh, they're like, oh, I love that movie. He goes, oh, you're too kind. I was terrible in that movie. So, yeah, well, at least he's honest. Yeah, well, I mean, apparently the movie got rewritten as they were going through it, but that's not the point. The point is, you said you turned down this? Mm. But you, you did that as the main villain? It's like, maybe that's why he didn't do this. Maybe, maybe he had scheduling conflicts. I don't know, but it was a bad decision. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I think it would have been great to have Gene Simmons as a villain in this, but at the same time, I like the role he had. I wish he was in this more mm. yeah, because he has a scene in it, but then he's gone. Yeah, yeah. And even when we visit the radio station, I'm like, all right, are we going to find a body or something? Nope. We just never see him again. We hear that this thing's on tape and on like record, which is now making me think that he's been involved in this the entire time. Well, yeah, I think I think I've got some theories on that, too. And I think I don't want to spoil it ahead, but like, yeah, he, he, he you know, there's definitely um, they, they were friends. So sort of nuke reveals, you know, Eddie's yeah. gone to nuke and nuke reveals. But nuke. He's not really that supportive of Eddie in this. Con I'm sorry, of Sammy in this conversation. Like he he sees how um, Eddie's brooding over the death of Sammy, and and Nuke says, you know, he almost tries to get him to snap out of it, doesn't he? And he says, look, he's not a god. You know, he was yeah. really angry. He was angry all the time, even back then. And he don't you get it, Eddie? He did this to himself, and. Um, Still, though, he tries to make Eddie feel better, and he and he gives 
Eddie an acetate record of Kerr's unreleased album, which is titled Songs in the Key of Death. Now, this is the antithesis of Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. So, you know, Newt mentions that it's it's the only copy uh, of the record, but that he's copied it to a tape and he's going to play it at midnight on Halloween in line with Sammy's wishes. So there's definitely some sort of arrangement between Nuke and Sammy there. But I don't know if Nuke is aware just how sinister Sammy's plans are. See, I think he is because when you hear him, when it's when you hear the recording that he's plugged in or whatever, you know, at midnight when it's going to drop, it even says before the thing drops, he's going to play it backwards. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. And that's where it's like, wait a second, dude. You're going to what? Yeah, but that like, was pretty but that was pretty typical of metal like um records in the time. Loads yeah. of these records had hidden messages which, you know, yes, they would fuck your records playing it backwards, but like if you played them backwards, you know, it was pretty typical thing for metalheads to do is to play things backwards forwards, you know, upside down, whatever. But um, <laughs> you know, um yeah, it's interesting that, you know, I, I still have, and we, we can discuss it later, but I still think that perhaps Nuke is at the radio station um, in the finale, but we'll, we'll talk about that anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he's gone, he's gone on this record um, and then sort of things, you know, it's a terrible day for Eddie, but, you know, maybe things are starting to look up because he gets this record. And also Leslie speaks to him for the first time, doesn't she? Yep. Yeah, she uh, she invites him to a pool party, um, which <clears throat> I guess they have at like the well, local. She returns, she returns the naked photos. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's she's really. I mean, she's nice. She's like, hey, here's an invite to this party. Oh, by the way, uh, here's a here's a photo of your butt um, <laughs> that I got back from Jeannie. And could you, could you imagine they Rob, like having a crush on a girl and like she's one of the popular girls and she's never even noticed you're alive and then like she comes up to you and like speaks to you and you're like oh my god she knows I'm alive and she's like hey here have this and it's like just the photo of shame you know it's brutal and look he got invited out to something and he got the photo back yeah. to me right there really? it's like well she saw something that she liked and then it's decided butt. it's a nice right. little butt, you know, it's a cute little and, butt. I would have been all over that. <laughs> see, that's exactly that. So, so to him, he should be, I mean, obviously he's a high schooler, but if he were looking at this through like an adult's point of view, that right there, that's a sign. She likes you, dude. And he must really like her because he, he does, he goes to this pool party, but um, yeah. Leslie's not there. She turns up late, doesn't she? Yeah. And he's hesitant, too, because, like, he knows that, uh, you know, all the popular kids are going to be there. And they think he's a freak. Jeannie straight up call, like, is like, no, I want to talk to you for a second. Why are you so weird? Why can't you be normal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just kind of like she's genuinely asking him, being like, no, we would actually hang out with you if you'd just be a normal person. Why aren't you normal? But when you look at it, it's like he's it's just mm. a person who likes different music and is uh, dresses a little differently, but he's normal. Like, yep. 
he's a normal kid. Yep, yep. He, he's a nice guy. He has friends. Yep. He goes to the radio station. It's not like he's a total outcast from the world, you know? No, he's got his little circle. It's yeah. small, but they, yeah. have, but they exist. Um, but, yeah, so it's really awful because, you know, he, he sort of takes this leap of faith and he goes. And, of course, Leslie's not there when he arrives and the bullies just start on him. And Tim, who's like, like I mentioned, the head bully, just sort of is the first to sort of lead. He leads the pack. And someone puts a discus, like a heavy discus or something in uh, Eddie's backpack and they throw him into the pool and he sinks to the bottom and he is literally drowning and no one none of these guys jump in to save him or anything but Leslie arrives and Leslie jumps in and saves his ass uh but you know she sort of he he rushes out and he's you know, he's so angry at what's happened. He's nearly just died. And Leslie's like, calm down, calm down. And he's like, no, I'm going to nail every one of those bastards. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I am going to nail them. And then he goes home, doesn't he? Um, and, and this is where the tables turn um, for Eddie because he falls asleep listening to the Sammy Kerr record yeah. that Nick's given him. And he has this weird dream, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he um, he sees the hotel fire, so he gets to see the death uh, of Sammy, and he sees two people like on fire, weirdly burning, kind of in <laughs> slow motion, as Sammy is uh, doing this incantation in this pentagram, just kind of like sitting there, um, and. He's not just sitting there. He's sat there with his face on fire. Like, yeah, he he's like, like burning. He's burning. And he looks like he's enjoying it. You know? Yeah. yeah. He's like, it's a, it's like a, this is what he had planned for. This was his way of getting back at everyone who wronged him kind of in this, you know, it was his deal with the devil and you are watching this happen. So, you know, that Sammy, this wasn't something that was an accident that happened to Sammy. Sammy did this. Mm. And when, and it was literally when it, but this is also where I look at nuke saying where he's like, Sammy did this to himself. Yeah. Sammy did this to himself. Like yeah. literally. He literally so, did, and it was all part of his plan. And and yeah. and also the other thing that Nuke says is, as he sort of passes the acetate disc to Eddie, he says, "He's in here, you know," and he is in there because um, when Eddie awakens, um, he the, the record is skipping. And there's these weird sounding lyrics, you know, and it's sort of, you know, like, you know, metalheads sort of quite commonly play records backwards and sort of identify well, that. Not even just, not even just metalheads, but like, even Anyone. in, um, yeah. well, the whole, like, uh, Paul is dead. Paul is dead, uh, yeah. for the Beatles album yeah, playing yeah. that backwards. Yeah. Very good. So <laughs> the Beatles started it. No. <laughs> so yeah. So he's, he, 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 he does, he plays the record backwards and of course, inadvertently brings sort of Sammy's voice, brings Sammy back from the grave and Sammy's voice, um, speaks to him through the record and says, uh, it's a brilliant line, I love it. Um, he says, you know, let the big fish hook themselves. You're the bait. The bait is you. And so, yeah, Eddie suddenly yeah. gets these new powers and this new confidence, doesn't he? Uh, and, and, what did, and he starts using them, doesn't he, to sort of get revenge. Well, it's an immediate, it's an immediate thing too, is we hear this. And at first I was like, 
Okay, interesting. And we see him at school the next day, and he goes up to the bullies, and the ones eating lunch, and the guy said, oh, but by the way, when he was in the pool and he had the weights in him, did we mention he was in the shallow end of the pool? That's why no one rescued him, because he was in the shallow end, and they made fun of him for being in the shallow end. Oh, yeah. They call him, like, Aquaman and stuff, don't they? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he, so that's why no one went in to, to get him, because they're all staring at him like, dude, just stand up. Yeah, yeah. Like, just just stand up and he's acting like he's at the bottom of the deep end of the pool. And then when he does stand up and you see that there was, he wasn't going to drown, it becomes more of that. He was made fun of moment. So yeah, he turns on Leslie in that moment and that's where he just is like, I'm done. He listens to his music and that's where it's like, he's been scorned again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's when you were saying he's, he's going to get the revenge and yeah, he shows up. He goes right up to the guy. They call him Aquaman. He takes the tray of <laughs> uh, the guy's food and just pushes it right into his face and all over him. And aren't you just cheering for Eddie at that point? You're like, you fucking deserve that, Tim. Like, just it was like- amazing. And then it turns into a really, really fun chase scene. Yeah. So it's it's Tim and his two bully friends chasing Eddie throughout the high school and you're watching them go from place to place, just running around everywhere. I love when they go into the library and then they try to walk there like, <laughs> I'm not going to run. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to. And then they, they try and book it. So they're trying to be as prim and proper around any authority as they can then mm-hmm. booking it and chasing them down. And you're wondering, like, how is this going to end for Eddie? Mm. Because there's no way this is going to go well. No, but he set a few traps along the way, like buckets of water and stuff, which they a couple of them trip over. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, we know he's premeditated this, Eddie. He's got something in store for them. I don't know. I don't think he. I don't think he premeditated it. You don't think I so? I think they said no. They said be the bait. Remember, he says be the bait. All he had to do was be the bait. And but I we see think, him like setting up that bucket beforehand, don't we? Like he sets the janitor, janitor's bucket. Oh, he bucket does up. set the yeah. janitor bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, because yeah, because he does say that 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 Sammy told him what to do, and he did exactly what Sammy told him to. But if you just listen to the one line of "be the bait," then I'm like, okay, you're just the bait. Yeah, no, I think he, he, ca- he came up with the idea of what yeah. to do in terms of setting the traps, but the inspiration. Mm-hmm. Was that line, I think, from Sammy on the record. He sort of uh, leads them to this room and uh, Tim's certain that he's on the other side of the door. And door's takes, just closed, yeah. Yeah, t- uh, Tim takes this fire extinguisher off the wall, throws open the door and just empties this fire extinguisher on to like a, a room full of teachers. And of course, you know, he's in detention for like a week yeah. after that and they are just gunning for Eddie's it is it was so amazing though because he kicks open the door he's it's a compressed water extinguisher and he just sprays the entire it's like a teacher's lounge but they are gathered around a table and it's like 10 of them sprays them all down and it's just this look on his face of horror of no 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 and you see Eddie from a door behind him just kind of like book it away and he's, he's like, very happy with himself, you know. Because and it worked. Yeah. He finally he finally got one on them and it yeah. took that long and it was something that he could relish in like really 
it was it was so believable his reaction and and how happy he was in this moment because it showed that something for once went in his favor and it didn't just kind of like blow up in his face how it's done time and time and time again that's right Uh, so i thought that was really cool yeah but then he starts to wonder doesn't he like was was that message meant for him or was it just a coincidence? And he sort of confides in his nerdy friend, Roger, and says, you know, like I played the record backwards, this happened and I got one up on them. And, you know, Roger just starts to question his sanity and he's like, dude, you've just fallen for the oldest gimmick in the book, you know. Um, You know, this is a record company sort of gimmick and you're going to fuck your records doing this. Uh, It's just a coincidence. Um, so sort of he he sort of dismisses it and says, oh, I'm a bit worried about about you, Eddie. Um, so then, you know, uncertain sort of Eddie plays the record backwards alone again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time, you know, um, there's this like, oh, how good is like the thumping sounds at, in that scene? It's like someone's truly trying to come out of the speakers. It's like well, at awesome. first, at first, nothing happens. Right. He, mm. he thinks he's crazy because he's doing this backwards and. He says something almost like he, I think he asks a question or says something, and then you hear, then you start hearing a little bit of noise. Mm-hmm. He's like, Wait, what? And well, that's it, starts <laughs> picking up from there where it's like, Ooh, interesting. Well, then, you know, from the speakers, you know, Sammy's voice says, Ragman, ha 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 ha. And so it's like, a mess. It's not just a coincidence. The message is meant for him personally. And Eddie's like, Unfucking real. <laughs> he, he's stoked. Well, it's true because like the, he always signed it Ragman. That was his his like little ha- moniker at the end of all the letters that he would send was Ragman. And so when he communicates him with directly with Ragman, <laughs> and then this maniacal laughter, you're like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is interesting. And then he sort of says, um, you know what. He realizes Sammy's talking to him. He's sort of like, like, what's the plan? And Sammy says, you know, nail them all. And he's got this great, like, sort of hoarse, croaky voice as well. And then it sort of skips, doesn't it? And it's just like on repeat saying, nail machine, six, six, crash, nail machine, six, six, crash. And you're like, what's that? And then it just cuts to like room technology room 66 in Mm -hmm. the high school where there's this nail machine. So yeah, he sets this other trap, doesn't he, for the bullies. Yeah, it's, it's, um, well, what happens on that ends up being a lathe, like, but it is like a, I mean, it is, Ooh, it's a scene where I was like, is this really about to go this far and do this? Um, and luckily it, it, it doesn't, but the tension is totally there. Uh, we have Eddie start getting the crap kicked out of him. Like he gets cornered, um, at the school and, and yeah, he's, he's like, wait, but he knows they're going to do this. He's waiting yeah. for them in that room because Sammy said to wait in that room and he's listening to Sammy, a recording, a cassette recording of the Sammy Kerr record, um, on his Walkman in this room. And of course they, they turn up, don't they? And they mm-hmm. do, they start beating on him big time. Yeah. They're in the, uh, so they're in the shop room. And Tim picks up wrenches and starts to throw them over at him. And, I mean, they're hitting the wall, and they're getting close to his head. And I'm like, man, dude, if he gets hit with a wrench, that's not going to go well. He's going to be dead. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
Well, luckily, what what was it? His shirt or something? Tie. Something, oh, his tie. tie. Yeah. Yeah. Tim's tie flips to the side and gets caught on the lathe that's right next to him, and it powers on. <laughs> and it decides it's going to cinch that tie all the way down, uh, dragging Tim's head all the way inside of where you would set, like, a leg of a chair that you would put through a lathe, right? And now his head would essentially be the leg of the chair. And the little <laughs> pin that's this just, well, it's not little, this spike. Oh, my God. It's, it's huge. Ugh. Starts to move towards him. And towards his eye and then like towards his head because he's trying to move around. But either way, it's not going to go well. He's either going to get it in the eye or it's going to go through like his forehead. And it's getting closer and closer. And he's screaming for Eddie to turn this off. He's like screaming for him to turn it off. It's getting closer and closer and closer. This thing is like touching him now and about to go and puncture when Eddie finally turns the thing off. And luckily it immediately turns off because if it had to power down, he would be dead. That thing would have gone, popped his eyeball or just pushed through his skull and it would have just been a mess. Gross. And yeah, you can see Tim's really, for the first time, really rattled. He's rattled then, isn't he? He's like, what the fuck? Like, But Tim's like, Tim even straight up, he's like, I'm going to get, he still says he's, he's going to get him. Mm. And I'm like, dude, stop. This guy just saved your life from something that could have been a weird accident, maybe. But he just saved your life. Don't say you're going to get him. Yeah. You know, like, just, just let it be. It's all a wash. Just let it go. Yeah. You know? But he oh. won't. No. <sighs> um, but, but Eddie, Eddie decides maybe he will. Eddie's hmm. like, maybe I can throw him a a. Uh, well, Eddie's super confident now. He's he's yeah. He's 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 got this newfound confidence now, and yeah. Um, but I don't. I think. Look, Eddie goes. Eddie goes home, and he does. Um, play the vinyl backwards again and this time Sammy doesn't speak to him um he takes over the stereo and records a copy of the record playing backwards onto a mirrored cassette tape and there's no instruction but yeah this newly confident Eddie basically leaves the tape in Tim's locker and says it's a peace offering Mm -hmm. um and then that night Tim's making out with his girlfriend Jeannie in his car and while he goes for a slash Jeannie plays the tape through the Walkman and this is my favorite scene. <laughs> so Jeannie's in the car and uh, she's listening to this cassette tape and uh, green mist starts seeping from the headphones and uh, down her chest and it begins unbuttoning her silk dress. Um, and like with her eyes closed, you know, she like begins to remove her underwear um, you know, it's like it's really sexy scene. I haven't seen a scene this sexy since, you know, I watched The Entity. <laughs> so she's like got her eyes closed. And like just as she's about to reach the high of all highs, I guess, she, she opens her eyes and she discovers yeah. this like snarling demon on her lap. And, um, you know, and uh, and then like Tim just hears Jeannie screams, you know, he's outside the car and he rushes back and he finds her unconscious, doesn't he? Yeah, he found so like he sees the car shaking and stuff for a bit and then it stops. He sees her in there, topless, just like sitting there with the headphones on the side, like unconscious. And he goes over 
to grab the headphones and kind of pull it off of her ear. Uh, and it, it's it, it, like he pulls it and just goo, just goo. <laughs> There's no, like the ear has melted. Like this is kind of just melted together into this thing. And he just freaks out. Yeah, it's and he gross. Knows, but then he, he looks at the, he looks and he sees the tape and he knows that Eddie had something to do with this. He doesn't know how, but he knows that something was going on. And it kind of cuts from that scene to when we find that apparently Jeannie isn't dead, but Jeannie is in the hospital, I think in a coma. Mm. Like she's, she's out of it for the rest of the movie pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And no one and, knows if she's going to make it. And Tim's really rattled. Like he goes to Eddie's house, you know, and says, look, he tells, he tells Eddie what's happened to Jeannie and says, like, you're into some weird fucking shit. Stay away from me. Stay away from Jeannie. And at that point then, Tim's really willing to just stay the hell away from Eddie. And, you know, but there's this, there's this point there where sort of um, Eddie really goes in and sort of says, you know, to the record, like, things have gone too far. Um, and Sammy speaks back to him and says, you know, you know, no, um, we need to nail them all. Um, but, you know, Eddie, you can tell Eddie's like, no, you know, this is this is serious consequences. Jeannie's in the hospital. I just, I don't want to do this anymore. And Sammy's just relentless and merciless and basically says, nail them all, including Eddie's love interest, Leslie, and even Eddie's mother, you know? <laughs> so he tries to, like, rip the record off the turntable, doesn't he? Um, and, yeah. he and then he tries to, like, pull the plug of the stereo out, but he just gets electrocuted. And then the next thing we know, the whole room is shaking and the stereo lights up, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like we are now going to get I guess the first time we're going to see, because he comes face to face at this point with Sammy, like mm. Sammy appears and Sammy looks normal on one side of his face <laughs> and Sammy is melted horribly on the other side of his face. And it's, it's, a a, it's, it's a bit Freddy Krueger, isn't it? It looks good, though. It looks really good. Like it's a good melted piece of flesh just missing <laughs> parts of his face. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got electricity at his black polished fingertips, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think is it at this point when and the TV comes on and Ozzy Osbourne's on the TV in the room. <laughs> so we get the first. We see kind of how how brutal his powers get. Like we start to get a little test of that because we see Ozzy on the TV talking about stuff and. Sammy takes his fingers and runs it across the screen of the TV, but his fingers sink into the screen and you see the screen pulled to the side. You can see Ozzy's face pulled to the side and he screams. So he's like, ah, as the fingers drag it across and then the screen cuts out and yeah. you're like, wait, what the hell did this guy just do? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't just turn a TV off. He reached through there. And hurt touch that, that face, mm. and you heard him scream. As that's crazy. Yeah, I agree. And you can tell Eddie's like scared. Like this is going so scared. It's going to the next level now. And uh, he and he, Sammy says to Eddie, "You know, you should be loyal to your heroes because they can turn on you." 
mm-hmm. um, and before sort of disappearing back into the stereo. And that's when Eddie takes the baseball bat. And this part just like breaks my heart <laughs> because he smashes up. He absolutely smashes up um, his stereo system. And it's one of those like kick-ass stack stereo systems we all had in the 80s. And I totally wish I'd kept mine now. Um, but, yeah, smashes it to smithereens. Yeah. Um, and and he realizes, you know, then, yeah, Sammy's Sammy's really bad. He's he's going to take this all the way, and it's a big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal for Eddie to turn yeah. against Sammy because you know this is his number one fan, you know, yeah. and now he's like he has this realization how how evil Sammy is, and he's got to be stopped, and that's when he calls Roger and asks Roger to. Uh, break into Tim's car and steal the mirrored cassette tape. He's like, you've got yeah. to destroy it, Roger. Yeah. Well, he was going to, so the thing was, is like Sammy was going to kill Eddie's mom because Eddie's mom's knocking on the door at one point and he's just like, no, she can't, you know, she can't come in. He's like, no, let her in, you know? And then changes his voice to sound like Eddie's. I love that bit. You know, that bit totally reminds me of, um, Terminator 2, you know, yeah. and that saying, Wolfie's fine, Wolfie's just fine, <laughs> where the yeah. 2000 pretends to be um, Eddie, or whatever his name is. Yeah, um, yeah he's like, your step-parents are dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Sorry. Love that scene. Anyway, it reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, it was a cool moment, too, because you're, you're more about these powers that he has. And I like that they vary throughout like he Sammy has powers that he uses I wish he kind of used them more um he likes the he likes the lights explode thing and everything kind of explodes thing the most it seems but some of the powers in it are just absolutely awesome like being able to do the voice manipulation changing from being able to go from basically he ghosts in the machine he ghosts in the machines uh, he's able to jump in and out of circuitry now, basically traveling through his music. So if he has a copy of his tape, that now can go anywhere, and he can now appear anywhere That's that right. that tape is played. That's right. And so, you know, silly Roger, he he does get hold of this cassette tape, and instead of destroying it, he gets all curious, doesn't he? And he bloody plays it, and guess who shows up? Uh, Sammy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, like, yes, poor weakling Roger cowering in the corner and Sammy says to him, play my tape tonight, meaning at the Halloween dance for the high school, play my tape tonight or die. Yeah. And uh, Roger's sort of like, no, 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 no. And to show uh, to show um, Roger he means business, Sammy, um, Sammy, has this little uh, uh, trick, doesn't he? <laughs> is yeah, it Mrs. So Mrs. Cavill? <laughs> this is like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I mean, like legitimately, because of the year it came out, I've seen stuff like this after, and now I know where it came from. I'm pretty sure. He reaches into the television, grabs her, and pulls her out of the television. And Mrs. Cavill is like um, a... A sensor. She is the high school teacher, PTA chair, and she's on screen talking about these bad rock musicians and everything. Um, yeah, and then yeah, and sorry, it's, it's because the te- 
it's basically like Sammy pops the TV on at that moment. So to prove a point mm-hmm. and you see her talking and Sammy just reaches down through the TV and it looks so good, pulls her out seamlessly in one shot, pulls her out of the screen. And as he pulls her out, she turns into a charred husk <laughs> and he drops her charred husk to the ground that just basically, uh, crumbles into bits yeah and it is absolutely amazing and he's just like all right i'll do it and then it's pretty much followed up um with roger vacuuming up (laughs) the body with like not even moving the clothes or anything else or trying to large chunks and put it in a bag he just puts the vacuum over the entire thing and is just trying to vacuum it up because i think he's too much in shock with what is actually happened. I don't think he can fully comprehend the the what has just happened in his house, or he's just dumb. Uh, but <laughs> it was it was so such funny. an amazing moment. Yeah, it's so funny that vacuum bit gets me every time. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, but Eddie's decided not to go to the dance, hasn't he? Um, well, Eddie hasn't decided not to go to the dance. Eddie's grounded, like. Eddie's mom has been like, yeah, you're not allowed out until after Halloween. So that means no dance. Mm. And Leslie, Leslie wants him. Yeah. yeah, but she she wants him at the dance, though. She, you know, calls and, and asks him about it. And he says he's sick or whatever. But, um, yeah, he, he can't make it out there. And she finds Roger and is asking about him. So she's going to she's going to go and find out where uh, where Eddie's at. And yeah, and so when she calls him, um, <clears throat> you know, there's a little bit of flirting and stuff. It's oh, quite yeah. cute. Um, but then he hears Sammy's tape playing in the background because Roger has bloody played it at the Halloween dance. And he's like, what the fuck? Uh, you know, Roger was meant to destroy that. Um, yeah. And so then he tries to get to the dance in his car, doesn't he? And this is where the film sort of becomes a bit like a um, Christine, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so now... The car gets possessed and, you know, he's trying to make it over there, but now his car is possessed by, uh, Sammy and cause the tape is still in the deck. Like he has a tape in the deck that he can't get out and it tries to kill. I mean, it straight up tries to kill him. It shears off part of the car. It's going under stuff. So it, it takes the entire top off of his car. So he had to kind of like push at the brakes and he has to basically, the only way he's going to survive is ripping out the radio by going underneath and yanking out the actual uh, cables for it. Mm. And he does in the nick of time mm. because it is his car is precariously sitting halfway off of a bridge that is uh, being lifted up because it's going through construction and stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like weird this um, part because I feel like Sammy's almost in two places at once because while this is happening, um, Roger's playing the t- you know the mirrored tape at the Halloween dance, and mm-hmm. uh, you know Sammy appears in form at um, the dance, and I'm just gonna ask like what he gives this performance like what do you think of Sammy's performance? Because I think it's kick-ass. <laughs> I thought it was great. I mean, I liked... I, I thought, like, before that even began, when this band's about to play, 
And the guy looks down at the speaker and you see the hand come out. And <laughs> oh, the, yes. dude's, the dude's head explodes and everything just kind of everything in there starts to kind of blow up a little bit. And then, yeah, Sammy appears. And, uh, and I totally think, I don't know, have you ever seen the film um, Hocus Pocus? Yeah. I feel like there was a bit of inspiration, um, Hocus, because you know the Sanderson sisters turn up. Right, and, um, right, and they the, do I Put a Spell on You. Yeah, and, uh, and like, yeah. The, the actual live band that was supposed to be playing, so they take over. I feel like there's a bit of inspiration here, perhaps, um, you know, yeah, I mean, from the script. I, I definitely think so, like with the way – he starts to he starts to play and then everybody kind of gets in and kicks oh. into it and and they the band under you know gets where he's going with it and, and it's Tony, good it's good you know tony yeah. feels he's doing literally cartwheels across the stage because he's yeah. a dancer right so he's doing cartwheels across the stage and he just gives this amazing performance to Sammy Kerr um, and the kids are like he's even better than the real Sammy because of course they will think he's dead yeah. Um, yeah but then he goes into this uh shredding guitar solo doesn't he yeah where where lightning bolts shoot out uh of the guitar and basically vaporize people <laughs> vaporize it's a combination of what happens to them some vaporize some explode and body parts and chunks go everywhere some of them it just kind of depends on what happens when you get hit with this stuff <laughs> anything can happen and a and lot become- of people get wiped out yeah they do they do and it becomes like a scene from carrie Everyone's mm-hmm. screaming, they're running from the dance, and this is, um, you know, when Eddie sort of arrives on the scene looking for Leslie, but she's in the bathroom. She's missed this whole thing, hasn't she? Well, so, like, Tim, Tim used to date Leslie, mm-hmm. I think, or they had a, something happened between them at one point, because Tim's been drinking, and Tim gets very aggressive with Leslie, uh, to the point where he ends up, he ends up slapping her at one point and knocking her down and then immediately going to apologize as she's trying to escape out of there. And he's, you know, he's talking all this shit about Eddie and then Eddie shows up and he's leaning up against the wall and you're, you're I thought he was just going to go and attack Eddie right away. I thought it was just going to go into this just rage mode attack, but it's like, I- it takes a little bit before he goes after Eddie. And well, Eddie's, Eddie, Eddie sort of is trying to help him. Eddie's like, what yeah. are you still doing here, man? Because he has no knowledge of what Tim's just done to Leslie. Yeah, yeah he doesn't he, know about that. No, he's like, Tim, you know, what are you doing? Get out of here, you know? Um, and he's really trying to help him. But then Sammy, Sammy turns up, doesn't he? Yeah, Sammy turns up. Uh Sammy does like the bully thing of, I guess, giving him a wet willy, but Sammy's electric. So if you give someone a wet willy when you're electric, they go boom Mm. uh, and Tim go boom. So (laughs) Tim is gone now. Yeah. Tim's fried. Yeah. It's a very explosive fashion for him. Um, and yeah, I mean, at this point, he had a chance. Yeah, he had a, totally had a chance to escape and get out of there, but he just kind of lets his anger get the best of him and ends yep. up dying because of it. So yep. oh, he deserves to die. 
He deserves to die. Yeah, I'm no, he totally sure. deserves to die. <laughs> Everyone well, no, deserves no, I mean, to die, as far as I'm concerned. The bully, it, he got rapey with Leslie. He totally yeah, well, that's, deserves to die. <laughs> that's the thing is, like, you could almost see an arc where the bully could change or kind of switch around from being a bully. But the second he gets rapey and hits Leslie, you're like, all right, dude, you're done. Like, yeah. there, you're not you're not coming back from that in this movie this far into it. You have to die next. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could see in another another type movie where he's like, I'm a better. Uh, it could almost be like in the movie The Blob, where the guy's like, Look at me, I'm the jock, and I'm going to be the hero. Hey, what's that above me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it doesn't go that way anyway. Tim's fried, and um, well, yeah. actually, it does. It, well, it does go that way as far as the what's that above me oh, type situation. Above me? But yeah. the uh, yeah. but the whole yeah he he gets he doesn't his redeem himself. Yeah, he does. There's he no doesn't, redeeming. No, there's no redemption for Tim, and um, he yeah he he's he's gone. Um, and uh, I think this is you know Eddie's like certain they've got to kill the power in this school. You know, it's the only yeah. way to stop Sammy and. Little Roger appears, doesn't he? He's like, let me just do one thing right. <laughs> and he crowbars the fuse box. Yeah, and he gets electric here. You know, he gets shocked and, and knocked out from that. And you see uh, Sammy just kind of like vaporize away, kind of very Freddy Krueger when he disappears out of reality to go back into like the ghost world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Roger goes down, they go to check on Roger. They think he's dead uh, because he's checking. He's like, Roger, oh, no, oh, no, Roger, he's dead. And then Roger is not dead. Roger. <laughs> it's just fine. Roger's, yeah, Roger's like, no, I'm not dead. I'm, I'm OK. I'm not dead yet or something like that. And it's a great little moment. And you're like, oh, OK, well, I guess he'll get his eventually. Nope. <laughs> it's cool. I guess Roger can live with the fact that he unleashed some dude that just murdered a bunch of his classmates. So he got some sort of semblance of revenge mm. in his mind. So maybe that'll keep him out of an institution. Let's hope until, so. <laughs> hopefully. Until uh, he writes some great episodes of the X-Files anyway. Um, yes. but, the, but the worst thing about all of this is the police, you know, the cops, they start appearing on the scene and everyone starts blaming Eddie. And okay, yes, it kind of is all Eddie's fault because, you know, he did play the record backwards. But, you know, they, they, they are just like, he's, he's the one who did it. It's Weinbauer. Mm. So, you know, they, they have to leg it. They have to get out of there. Yeah, well, it's also the cops are thinking that it's alcohol at first because people are saying that it's uh, Sammy Kerr or Sammy Kerr's doing it, and they're like, "Yeah, these kids are these kids are loaded. Like, we're dealing with a bunch of drunks here, you know." Let's so that's what they the think. Yeah, exactly. So that's what they think they're dealing with, when in reality, they're not. Um, but at this point, yeah, they have to kind of go on the run, um, and. Eddie is well, he, like he remembers. He remembers shit. Nuke's trib midnight tribute to Sammy. Um, it's going to be. They've got to stop the tape from being played and aired on the radio all yeah. over town. You know, yeah. Sammy will be able to come out of anywhere. You know, if his music is being played all over town, um, and they try calling Nuke, right? But mm -hmm. he's not picking up the phone. Now, this is the thing, right? So when they call through. 
there is someone asleep in the station. They look like they're in a sort of like outfit, like a security outfit or something. Yeah. Is that Nuke? No. No, you don't. That was no. That was just a security guard because he looks totally different um, from what. Because Nuke had the hat. Nuke has that cowboy hat that he wears. He's not in like sort of some sort of costume or dress up or anything. So you think that's a security guard? Because I was like, has Nuke fallen asleep? And then when we get when we go when we do get to the station later, that person is blown up and there's just the rags of their clothes on the chair, right? So um, and Leslie sort of goes gross. But but I was wondering, was that Nuke or was that not Nuke? And you know, either way, Nuke's basically pre-recorded his commentary and the show and the DJ booth is sort of running itself. And yeah, um, so they can't, so anyway, they can't get through to Nuke on the telephone. So Eddie's obviously has no car now. He tries to go to his house to use his mum's car and they're like quick, you know, turn all of the radios off in the house so that Sammy can't get them while they're doing this and trying to find the keys for for his mum's car. Um, but they forget about one radio and it's the shower radio. And of course, uh, uh, Sammy, Sammy comes through the shower radio and, and, uh, don't you just love how, um, Eddie figures out Sammy's weakness here? Uh, yeah, this was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen, <laughs> but I also thought it was ridiculously funny. Uh, he moves out of the way. I forget how it all goes down, but he moves out of the way and somehow Sammy's hand goes into the toilet. <laughs> And Sammy, it's like he is just his kryptonite. He has just hit his kryptonite because, man, he cannot get his hand out of that toilet. He is just getting shocked, and he's trying to pull it out, and he's like, ah, and you see the electricity going through there. And it's really absurd. So what does Leslie do? She flushes the toilet as he's about to get his hand out. And now he's stuck in there while they're to get out of the bathroom. It's so... It was one of those where I'm like, did they really just do that? Did they? That's all right, man. Cool. <laughs> that's that's how we found out our villain's weakness. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I, I thought it was uh, hilarious. I thought it was. I thought it was really funny, but it was just one of the most absurd things that I I think I've seen. I just did not expect it to be that. You know, it's absurd, but it's cool. I love it. <laughs> yeah. But um, but they they anyway. So you can forget about the um. The, the mum's car, you know, and they end up having to sort of steal a police car. Um, um, well, they steal the police car that, that remember the guy was going after, he sees Sammy and he's going to take out Sammy. Oh, and yeah. the police officer basically just gets vaporized into nothing. And you just see whatever he had. I think it was, oh, he, he, he fires a taser onto Sammy and Sammy just kind of stands there with these taser things. And I'm the cops like, what? And then he holds it, and you see the charge go back into the gun. And then next thing you see are the cop's boots. And then you see the taser thing fall to the ground. The camera moves up, and there's just boots that are smoking. And that's <laughs> it. There's nothing else. So that's like when they when they go out and they see the car, they see the cop's boots, and they just see the car. Like, yeah. the boots are still there when they get in. And that was... I, I love that moment because I'm just like, wow, they really they really brought that around. I'm glad that it just wasn't left there as a oh, here's a random death that we're not gonna utilize. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, no, it's very this as a as a screenplay and as a story, I think this is a very tight little story and a very tight little screenplay, in my opinion. There's something <laughs> there's something you should know about this screenplay. Okay. Do you know who's uncredited as the writers for this? No. Glenn Morgan. Oh. And James Wong. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and James Wong, if people don't know who James Wong is, he directed a movie called Final Destination. Yeah, there you go. And, he di- and, yeah. and you can see and that Final coming through. With, yeah, the whole, yeah. with the whole nail machine. This, and it felt very Final Destination. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying, especially with that one thing of kind of like the the Pepsi falling over, him knocking something to get himself out of a machine in the same way as the first Final Destination with the water in the toilet to to get the guy to have the thing around his neck. So, yeah, he directed Final Destination. He directed The One. He directed Final Destination 3. And then he directed Dragon Ball Evolution. Why? 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 <laughs> that's that's just like it goes from good, good, good to kicking the teeth. Yeah. Then to the X Files, <laughs> he directed some of yeah. those. But um, yeah, he's he's written a lot of stuff. I mean, he you know, he wrote what? He was the executive story editor for Twenty One Jump Street. Oh my god! Wow. There you go. Okay, what a legend! What a legend! Yeah. Let's stalk him. Um, <laughs> I'll stalk him on Facebook later. Um, no, he's, he's awesome. And, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it does, it, it, you can tell it's an accomplished writer on this. I feel it's very tight anyway, tight yeah. story. Um, so God, yeah, where do we get to? So anyway, they, they steal this police car and they get to the, the radio station and Sammy is protecting the DJ booth with like flying electrified objects. There's mm-hmm. no sign of nuke anywhere. The, the security guards like been vaporized and, um, you know, they, they, they can't get into this DJ booth um, to steal the tape. So, Eddie has a plan, though, doesn't he, to distract Sammy, and he tells Leslie to count to 100 and then go back Mm -hmm. in and destroy the tape. And poor Leslie's like, go back in there alone? You know, she's like, I don't want to do this. But Eddie takes a radio, and then he gets back into the police car, doesn't he? And he starts driving around and goading Sammy to appear. Yeah. So he's goading Sammy to appear, and it takes – it takes a little while. Um, I forget what he finally says to him, but Sammy finally appears in the back of the police car. I think I think he's saying all sorts of stuff. He's like, you know, I don't need you. You need me. After all, what are you without your fans? And he just keeps going mm, yeah. on and on. And then I think it's the point where he calls him a pussy or something like that. And then, and then Sammy appears in the cage in the back of the speeding police car. Yeah. And because it's metal... like he can't really do too much he's you know shocking the thing and it's just kind of not doing what he wants it to do he can't attack who he's trying to attack and we get we we're back to the car the police car and the bridge Mm. so at this point we're kind of seeing where this is going um Eddie is drives on that unfinished bridge again and he speeds it as fast as he can takes it over the edge yep 
And that is the end of Sammy. Yep. So he's in the water, he's electrocuted, and at the exact same time as he's done this, Leslie has rushed into the DJ booth and destroyed the tapes. Um, so she's sort of, you know, there in the in the uh, radio station, sort of slumped across a desk, and Eddie, you know, makes it back to her, and then yeah, they sort of share this very sweet little kiss, and you know, it's wonderful. Um, he gets the girl, and then there's just this sort of closing scene, isn't there, mm-hmm. where um, Eddie is speaking on air at the station as the DJ, and it's sort of closes out as it opened with Nuke sort of speaking on air as the DJ. Now Eddie is the new town DJ. And so, yeah, yeah, he's sort of got the power now and the choice of of what music to play to the masses. So, you know, um, I have to ask the question, though. Do you think after Eddie gets pushed in the pool earlier in the film and he goes home and he's listening to that record um, well, you know, whilst he's really angry and stuff and he falls asleep. Do you think everything after that point is a dream? Like the whole no. fact, no, you think it's real? Okay. Yes. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah, because all of it seems, yeah, because of how the events go, we're actually, we get a full scene of of Roger. There's no Eddie in there at all. There's no... Nothing seems over. I mean, even pulling people out of a TV is crazy, but like the overly fantastical, it's still grounded. Like Roger doesn't magically get powers or something like that and can fight back. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it all happened. I think the, I think the dream was just, he saw the vision of what happened because the record was playing and he actually probably has stronger visions when he's dreaming. And that was something that I kind of wanted to explore more with it too, that they didn't go into as much. But I think it helped because it kept the protagonist that we like. So we didn't take him down the dark side of this, which most of the time you take a character who's a likable character, you expose him to something like this in the vein of, let's say, 976 Evil. And you watch that character become the bad guy. And I liked the fact that it wasn't him getting imbued with the soul of this guy. It was him trying to prevent this, this, you know, Sammy Kerr from, from causing chaos and becoming himself out there and just taking things into his own hands. Like he wants someone else to do it, but if they aren't going to, he will do it for them type Mm. thing. And he will become that physical manifestation of himself. That's what makes this work so well. If you had pulled the 976 evil a, a route or, you know, if you had done something with a character that was unlikable, I'm going to want to watch him get his comeuppance. <clears throat> but he, he never he never did anything that was no. bad. Anytime something went wrong, he saved the guy from losing his eye or, you know, getting killed. Um, he tried to save him again and get him out of there, even though he knew the guy was a total jerk. You know, he tried to prevent all this stuff when the dude's girlfriend, like he didn't even know what happened. He just knew she was in the hospital. He didn't even need to know what the event happened. He was like, cool, we're done with doing any of this now. Someone got hurt. So, you know, that deep down, this is a good guy. Yes, he wants revenge against people and he wants to nail them, but he only wants to nail them in the sense of like pranks. It's not, they never physically maliciously hurt him, even though some of their stuff did go a little too far. 
so and he does he's not that same type of person i agree and i think you know it actually is a great um sort of message from the film you know newsflash just because somebody listens to metal music or likes horror films or dresses a bit differently or whatever it is you know it doesn't mean that they don't respect you know moral boundaries and codes it doesn't mean they're a bad person it doesn't mean they're going to do violent things um and i think you know that's that was a great thing about eddie as a character he was a good kid he just liked different type of music and i felt like um that really reinforced that message so yeah i I loved him as a character too i think he was um very relatable and like you Mm -hmm. say he only ever took things so far so Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that's what makes this work so well is that you have I can see why you like it as much as you do, because you have a, a, a solid protagonist who never really he never falters in the fact that he has this moral compass. I mean, you know, he he's a kid who's who's going through a lot of stuff and he wants to know what it's like to to get the one up on the bullies and stuff to have that confidence and get the girl one way or another, even without the record, he would have gotten the girl and she was already interested in him. So one way or another, I think that would have worked out. Mm. It would have just taken longer to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it was very, it seemed more like real life high school than a, a high school movie. Like mm. it, it didn't feel as much of, we're going to go with stereotypical bully characters. It didn't feel like even when Jeannie is saying stuff, she's, she, not the nicest character, but when she straight up asks him, like, why aren't you normal? It's earnest. It's really, um, yeah. Yeah. You're like, Oh, well, he's, I mean, you're not she being directly mean, mean, no, but she, she just, just doesn't, doesn't understand it. it. Yeah. 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 Um, I agree. And I think, um, you know, it's actually quite a small, um, cast, isn't it? Don't you think? You know, there's really only um, a, a handful of characters really in this. But um, I do also have to ask you, like, what did you think of the soundtrack? I love the soundtrack. I thought it was great. I mean, it was so a lot of the time when I think of metal, I think like death metal for some mm-hmm. reason, because a lot of people do. They think of like just very over the top, like yeah. Cradle heavy of duty. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, in this case, or like Cannibal Corpse, things like that. In this case, it, it was just old school heavy metal, and mm. it was nice. I mean, it was good to be able to listen to that. I know that it was a problem getting this film released um, for the 20 year edition, I think it was, or maybe it was, yeah, it was the 20 year edition um, because of rights issues. Yeah. So, because, it, you know, it's, it's tough to get all the music for that. I remember Heavy Metal, the movie Heavy Metal uh, from 81, the animated one. It took until the late 90s until that actually made it on DVD because of the music licensing issues. And they were in court forever trying to get through all of that. Yeah, yeah. It's such a shame. Um, So it's a British rock band. It was Fastway um, who wrote Mm -hmm. the original songs for the film. Um, And also um, doing some of the score in the background was Christopher Young, who we talked about on the last podcast, who did the score for Hellraiser and Urban Legend. Um, but yes, yeah, so Fastway is um, a former Motorhead guitarist, Fast Eddie Clark, and mm-hmm. the um, former UFO bassist, um, Pete Way. And the, the soundtrack for this film was actually a huge success. And even though the film kind of flopped at the time, um, it stayed in the Billboard 
Hottest 100 for 11 months. Um, and, and I listen to this soundtrack all the time on YouTube. I, I listen to it because I enjoy listening to it. And, um, you know, I've been eyeing off this um, vinyl um, of it for ages. I think I'm going to treat myself now, having done this podcast issue, <laughs> um, to, to buy it off Discogs. Um, but, yeah, I just, you know, I, I just absolutely love the soundtrack. Um, and, and I listen to it for fun, you know. <laughs> so, so something that people might not know about Fastway the lead singer of Fastway is Dave King. Dave King is also the lead singer of Flogging Molly. Yes, yes. So this was like he was an unknown singer and he was the original singer of Fastway when they came out. And yeah, then boom, next thing you know, he's the lead singer of Flogging Molly. So, and wasn't there someone from Humble Pie as well? Yeah, in the, 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 the drummer, the drummer uh, was from Humble Pie. Mm, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, no, I absolutely love the music. Um, I think heaps of awesome social commentary, um, you know, on, on censorship and, and sort of the fact that, you know, both metal music and horror are misunderstood, as misunderstood as they are adored. And I think if you love either of those things, like you've just got to watch this film. Um, and of course, just a very unique and cool villain in Sammy Kerr. So this, as I said, this is a really 80s cult classic um, for me, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, it's just a, a big, big recommend. Everyone's got to watch this one. <laughs> Yeah, I I have to agree. I think like, look, um, it's it's the perfect. It really is kind of the perfect Halloween movie because the the dance that they're going to is a Halloween dance. So this is really. At first, I was like, "How is this trick or treat?" Oh yeah, he's playing it on Halloween. Oh, this is all going to take place on Halloween with trick or treaters. We do get one cool moment with uh, Eddie because he's supposed to give out the trick or treat, like the the candy and stuff. And this girl comes in up to the thing and she's like, trick or treat, smell my feet. And he closes the door. She's like, what? She rings it again. And that's when he realizes he has to get to the dance. He takes the entire bowl of candy and just like dumps it into her bag (laughs) and books it out. And I'm like, that is, I, I just love the little touches like that in this film that really kind of give it that extra oomph. Yeah. Um, and then we also get a, a little bit of a, uh, a little tagger at the end with Ozzy Osbourne appearing <laughs> for like one final sentence uh, at the end of the film. It, that could have been from earlier. It also could have been his face got melted when the dude reached through the TV, but you don't see a melted face version of mm. him. So, uh, but it's, it's just, this movie's fun. This movie, it, it definitely plays up a lot of the comedy stuff but not to a goofy, ridiculous point. Is there it anything does, that is there anything that you would change about it? You know, honestly, I, I want to see. I would have kept more of the powers in there. Um, maybe lightened up on the straight up explosions that happen at the high school. It's just a lot of sparks going off for the most part. It would have been cool to see more of the technology type deaths, like pulling people out of the TV or. Stuff involving the speakers. Like, I do like how he yanked the person oh. through the speaker or pulled through the speaker and shocked the guy. And how cool is it when he first appears in Eddie's room as well and his face is coming through the speaker, the mesh on the yeah. speaker? I mean, that just looks awesome, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's stuff like that that I really wanted to see more of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I like the fact that we get him as a physical villain and he's not possessing people and it's not this, um, it's not this love conquers all type thing, which happens a lot of the time where the girl he barely knows is like, I love you. And he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm okay now and not (laughs) possessed anymore. And you're like, Whoa, hold the phone. Mm. You don't really know him. This relationship's built on false love. Oh no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> so, and then, you know, you'll have a sequel, uh, yeah, where true. she just will not be there at all. And you never hear about her. You get one <laughs> sentence to explain why she went away. It <laughs> happens in a lot of those films. So in this case, uh, I, I think it's great. I mean, it, it, it keeps it where this girl already liked him no matter what. And now he's just gotten into this horrible situation, which he had gotten himself out of. But then his buddy, Mr. I don't get myself into bad situations, Fs it up even more. Like, there's a lot going on in this movie layered throughout. Yeah, you're kind of getting a standard structure for for a film. But when you th- right when you think that's where we're we're done, it just kind of takes it that next step or kind of yeah. pushes it a little further. Like you think yeah. the high school is going to be the end of it, yeah. and then it's like, nope, <laughs> you forgot about the radio station. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have seen Gene Simmons come back at the end to kind of yeah. find out his fate and what happens. Like, did he know more about it or did he get yeah. killed off? Yeah, um, same. I have to agree there. I still am just very uncertain as to what happened to that character and what his role really was in the whole one, plan. It was, it, was, it was one day of cameoing on a film, probably. <laughs> I mean, really, it was, it was, he probably said, yeah, I'll do this for a cameo role. They brought him on for a day. He did his stuff. And then they were just like, we'll have him on a recording saying because it's Halloween and people are probably like, oh, he'd be at a Halloween party or something like that. I yeah. could see them totally writing it off like that because if I were writing a script and could only get a person for a day, yeah, I'd do that. <laughs> I would totally, I would totally do that. I'd be like, yeah, okay, we're gonna, we're just gonna front load all this stuff, and then can you just like say something into this microphone? Cool, cool, cool. We'll just put that in the, in the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very dissatisfied. So, <laughs> as a viewer, I, mean, I, thought, I want to know more. I know. So that's the thing is that it, the thing about this movie that makes it as good as it is, is that I want more. It's not a movie that I watch and go, well, Enough I'm done. Mm. Yeah. And it didn't do anything that annoyed me. Mm. Um, there's a lot of, some of these heavy metal movies, some of these, like these type of film, people don't under, I think some of the filmmakers don't know what they're getting into. So they turn it into something that becomes like a mocking version of that. Yeah. Um, and I know that, you know, they've had like what rock and roll nightmare was one. I think that came out the next year. Um, Oh, black roses from yeah. 1988. It's like this weird metal band that turns people into demons or oh. something like that. Is it good? Um, I haven't seen it. It looks goofy. It's got one of those, the, what they promote as the art. And it looks like it's a girl who transforms into this creature. It's like a long necked, goofy, Harryhausen-esque uh, troll-like character, it looks mm. like, or demon. So, if that's what they're hyping up on it, I know it's probably going to be funny more than it's going to be yeah. scary, so yeah. it's probably entertaining enough. Yeah. Um, 
but then you know there's a lot there's movies now like deathgasm which is another metal horror film uh i'm not as huge of a fan of that i know a lot of people love it and people would probably hate me for saying like i've i've seen it a couple of times i have it on blu-ray because it came in one of my horror blocks when horror block was a thing the, what i like about this movie like trick or treat it, it it doesn't go it can get juvenile at times but it it plays things serious it's it's a mm. very serious type film deathgasm definitely goes for the juvenile approach mm. like mm-hmm. very um it's definitely more of the juvenile, very blue humor approach, which is is fine to a point. But when it's done consistently and over and over and over and over and you're like, oh, it's a one note joke that you're just yeah. going to keep going back to. Gets tired. It does. And that's actually where that film kind of lost me, even though I, re- I really wanted to like Deathgasm. I really, really, really wanted to. I really, really, really liked uh, Trick or Treat as far as like heavy metal horror this would be at the top of my list. Yay. Um, and even horror in general, as far as being one where there's some messed up stuff going on, we get awesome effects, we get really cool villain powers, we get the ability to actually bring a villain back if we want to. Yes. Like, we could do that. Did he ever fully destroy the acetate disc? Did we see it get destroyed? Well, with the baseball bat, you know, but, I mean, he, you know, that could be repaired, you know. Exactly. So, like... The idea of Trick or Treat going beyond this film still exists. There could be another copy of the tape. Who's to say Nuke didn't make a copy of the copy of the tape? We're going into, like, the ring territory then, you know? Right. Well, who's, who can say the acid? You can, okay, you can break an acetate disc, right? It's like in the way you can kill Freddy Krueger, but he just keeps coming back. And if you, or Chucky, that's a better one. Chucky yeah. gets chopped up into bits. Yet somehow, <laughs> they always want to reform Chucky. Why? Oh, Why? And use, the, and, you, and use the same old materials. It's like, make a new doll. No. Yeah. yeah you would think, right? <laughs> uh, but lo and behold, there'll always be a little bit of Chucky that somehow ends up back in the doll. Yeah. It's the same type of thing that you could do with this. It's an acetate disc that is imbued with magical power. Yeah. We never, I don't think I fully saw the thing shattered into bits, even if it was broken in half or four pieces. If, if there's a legend now behind it and someone finds the four pieces of it and bring it together, <laughs> fuse back together and bring, I'm serious. This is the type it. of horror film that if I were to make a sequel to it, I would, I would do it this way. I would have it where, the record's broken. It's been all these years. Yep. It's literally been 30 some years. And now you're dealing with people finding this legendary pieces of this record that they've heard about on, you know, from occult stuff and on dark, you know, they keep, I hate putting the dark web stuff in there because it makes it seem cheesy and puts it in a, in a weird year. But I don't want to make that like the focus. I just want it to be like, Hey, I found this. It took a while to find. Boom. There we go. Who um, who would we have as Sammy Kerr now that Tony Field's gone though? Would we go back to someone like um, Alice Cooper or Blackie Lawless or someone like that, or is there someone newer that we would cast in the role of Sammy Kerr? Now, yeah, now. Ooh, you know who everyone would want as far? Yeah. Well, no, they would be so divisive. He can't direct it. He's not allowed to direct it. Rob Zombie. Oh, yes. 
Yeah. Could we get him, do you think, to uh, do a black mohawk, though? You know, his hair. Well, I, mean, I don't you know. Could, <laughs> you could, well, you could take the hair and do, like, how his is all crazy. If you really want to go the idea of he's been this demon trapped in hell for so long, he's changed. He becomes more of, like, the way he looked on Hellbilly Deluxe, that Lobo-esque character with the pale skinning like he's yeah. rotting away. Yes. You go with the idea that he's actually decomposing. Yes. And just becoming he has to get his you know it's it's almost like the energy is still there but you got to get more of it so like in order to get his power back it's hello mary lou prom night too kind of that whole thing <laughs> of like hey look at me i look like garbage and but if i take your souls i will start to look younger again yeah. and i'll look younger and younger and younger until look i'm down you know. with that i'm down with rob zombie as samika i mean somebody has got to do something to bring zombie back from the dead you know uh, his yeah. last few films oh. my opinion have stunk so yeah um but yeah this this trick or treat like this this is a movie that you should see and it's halloween so this is really the perfect time to watch it it's a part of me is like it's lighthearted it's not lighthearted it gets really dark at sometimes uh, but I, I enjoy the protagonist and I think that's what kind of, and when I say lighthearted, it, it, because the protagonist is such a likable character, uh, and, and, and his romantic lead is such a likable character that I don't know. It's just a fun film. Yeah. I like it. I I'm think it's, I think it's, yeah. And then the TV polls are amazing. Like just yanking the, the woman out of the TV was might be one of my that's in my like top 10 kills of the 1980s practical effects wise that was just brilliant yeah oh, i'm so glad you liked it um yeah. because it's always it's always um interesting when you introduce someone to a childhood favorite you know and it's something i'm i feel very nostalgic about and um you know i've, I've wanted you to be really honest but at the same time i was like you know it's, it's an obscure film. I'm like, you know, not that many many people know about it and, and love it the, the way I do. So I'm thrilled that having watched it, you feel the same way. So yippee, oh, yeah. yippee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for introducing me to that. That was definitely worth it. Uh, yeah, I thought it was great. But yeah, that's going to do it for us this week on Oh the Horror. I would like to thank my guest Victoria Hall again for picking an awesome movie. Pleasure is all mine, and I'm very happy to have shared it with you and everybody else. So thanks again for having me, Rob. You can find out more about Victoria at victoriahallauthor.com. And if you'd like to listen to more episodes of the podcast, you can find Oh the Horror at holmesinvasion.podbean.com. We've got a back catalog of about 100 to about 118 episodes, so there's plenty of stuff to go through there. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and any other social media platform at Holmes Invasion. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Until next time, I've been Rob Holmes, and this has been Oh the Horror. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. And there's no more room in hell. The dead will walk here.